Hey everybody, it's Dr. Bill Jensen again for another exciting episode of the Evolve Wellness Experience. And today's topic is going to be about longevity. So we're going to go through a lot of different concepts and new research on longevity. And if you pick a couple different things you can implement into your life as a result of what you hear today, then definitely you're going to live longer as a result of it. So I hope you enjoy. Well, can't believe it's been a month already, and uh, I was trying to think of a topic in order to bring to the podcast this go-around, and then it just happened to be that I was doing a lecture at a community college. They have a, a um, it's called the Field and Institute for Research, basically, at Indian River State College, and basically what they do is they have a group of people that wants to come in and learn about different topics, and it could be from any topic, but obviously as it pertains to what I would talk about, it would be health. Um, and in this particular instance, we talk about longevity. And longevity, really, there's a lot of research going into longevity now, new and different things coming out on how do we live uh, longer, better, healthier lives. And so really, when you're looking into the research, they've went to these places called blue zones. If you haven't heard of the term blue zone, a blue zone are regions in the world where people typically live to be centurions. They're 100 years and up. Uh, They're not like your typical 100-year-old people. They're very healthy. They're active. They're walking. They're independent. They're not taking medications. They're they're just, you know, very... What you probably would expect somebody... Um, I can't even say this in the United States because everybody I know in the United States at 70 years old is on tons of medications. But the vitality of a 70-year-old, the the ambulatory uh, uh, capabilities of a 70-year-old, so independent still, everything's all good to go. Um, But again, not taking any medications and and vibrant. So, So what they looked at these areas... They found out that all these zones, and there's one in Japan, there's one, happens to be one in California, in Loma Linda, California. There also is um, Costa Rica is another area. So what these places, obviously, they're completely geographically different in nature in the world, but they all practice very similar lifestyle habits. And so that is what it really comes down to, and and that's some of the things we're going to dive into here today. So today, if you can make it through all this stuff with me over uh, less than an hour or so. We're going to cover things such as the truth about aging, the gut and the immune system, uh, proper diet and exercise habits may not be what you think, actually. Um, We're going to talk about how our planet is toxic, uh, devoid of minerals, and is actually poisoning us right now and is creating a lot of the rise in diseases such as cancer, Alzheimer's, autism, like all that. So we'll, we'll tie that up to today as well. Uh, the importance of sleep, uh, how light affects us. Uh, we're also going to talk about the role of the nervous system, um, the power of purpose and how important that is for our longevity, uh, the power of gratitude and having a solid community uh, that you're involved with. And then we're going to get some applicable steps on exactly you know, how we can accomplish those things. So um, again, a lot, of co- a lot of topics and a lot of different content, but We'll, we'll make it as simple as possible. Before I get into longevity, though, I, I definitely want to touch base and just kind of let you know where the state of affairs is right now in the United States as far as health is concerned. So the reality is, is that cancer, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's, these diseases are on the rise big time. Uh, 70% of American deaths are attributable to those different types of diseases. Um, more alarmingly, our children are getting sicker and sicker as well. Children are supposed to be vibrant and healthy. They're not supposed to have health-related issues like older people uh, generally have. But uh, if you take a look at a comparison, in 1960, 10% of children had a chronic disease. Today, it's over 60% of children have a chronic disease. Their futures don't look too bright as it pertains to health and, and longevity. Um, you probably don't have to go out a route and, and take a look at people in the, in the community too, too hard to see there's a lot of overweight and a lot of obesity problems going on in the United States. There are currently 2.8 million people 
that are having obesity-related diseases and dying every single year because of that. Um, one out of every three children, again, is overweight as a result of poor diet and not enough exercise. Um, and the World Health Organization, although I don't always agree on every single thing that they say, um, they did come out with a statistic and they said that today's generation of kids that is being born will be the very first generation that won't outlive their parents. And that's a staggering statistic that's going on right now. But it makes sense because when you look at statistics on kids, pediatric cancer is up 30%. Type 2 diabetes in children is up 45%. Uh, currently, one out of every 36 children is being diagnosed with autism. If, uh, if you look from 1960 till current at the rate that the autism is increasing in the population, uh, if you formulate that 16 years forward from now, that'll be one out of every three children will be diagnosed with autism. If that comes to reality, we will have an economic collapse and a total devastation of our economy as a result of the, the, their inability to take care of themselves and, more importantly, their inability in order to... Um, be productive in the workplace, um, you know, for economic growth. So it'll be a massive, massive issue if we don't get things turned around. Uh, also, infant mortality rate. So the United States ranks dead last in infant mortality rate amongst uh, civilized nations. Um, so that's a scary statistic as well. And again, two years ago was the very first time that the life expectancy dropped since World War I. So I hope that kind of lays out a little groundwork uh, for y'all to kind of give you a picture of where we're heading in the United States as far as health concern. And, you know, the people that are leading us uh, as, as far as recommendations to be healthy and everything else in the WHO and the CDC and National Institutes of Health, clearly what they're telling us and what we're doing and what's going on is not working. It is like the opposite of working if we our life expectancy is going down and our children are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So hopefully this will shed some light on what's going on and it's going to be up to all of us in order to share information like this, to make changes within ourselves, to make changes within our family and then extend out from there to make changes in our communities. This is the only way that we're going to stand a chance uh, to have a future. Um, so I hope they take that very seriously. The CDC, the brilliance of the CDC, they say that these chronic diseases and all the things that are going on are, you tr are attributable to four things. Lack of physical activity. I make an argument that maybe that's a bit to do with it. Um, bad diet, poor nutrition. I would certainly say that that has a lot to do with it as well. Um, but then the other two, lifestyle habits, excess smoking and excess drinking. Well, we certainly know that children who are now going up plus, up plus 60% as far as chronic diseases don't smoke and don't drink generally. I would hope not. I mean, maybe. But, uh, you know, for them, it's lack of physical activity and, and nutrition. Um, and I would actually say on the bigger level, it's nutrition as a whole. Um, I mean, everybody plays video games and aren't as active as they probably used to be. I used to play video games all the time, so but I still didn't get diabetes or anything else going on with me because I had a good a good diet and and uh, my parents made sure that I took care of myself. So, so there's a, there's a lot more going on, obviously, than just four attributable causes to what's going on in the health um, and lifespan that's occurring in the world right now. So, let's dive into the truth about aging. And, and, and what influences it. So there's a massive paradigm shift that's occurring right now. And so it, it, that paradigm shift is like a, a lot of paradigm shifts that have occurred throughout history of humankind. So there was one stage of the game where we thought that we were uh, the center of the universe. Like the earth was the center of the universe and then all of the stars and everything else rotated around the earth because humans were so awesome and uh, divine and put here by God and so we're the center of the universe. So much to the extent that actually if you tried to challenge that concept, the church would put you to death. So, so obviously when, when there's certain paradigms in place and certain people in charge, they certainly do not want change because it can wreck a good thing for them and, and how they really teach and, and morally think it should be. Um, but lo and behold, one day somebody came around with a telescope and said, oh my God, 
We are not the center of the universe. But he couldn't come out until he was on his deathbed. Uh, and then he finally let it, his manuscripts out and everything else. And, and then they didn't have a choice. They had to make that paradigm shift. Uh, another paradigm shift would be the fact that the Earth is not uh, flat. Yes, for many, many years, you would crazy uh, and be ridiculed if you said that the world wasn't flat. Well, obviously, we don't fall off the end of the Earth. It's round. It has gravity. Um, so that paradigm shift took hundreds of years in order to convince people otherwise. The major medical uh, paradigm shift uh, that's occurring right now is the fact that the human cell, regardless of the cells you're talking about, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the tissues, any tissue in your body, um, is not the center of health in a human individual. So you would think that if a, if a, a cell is healthy and you have enough of those cells that make an organ healthy, and then you have enough of those organs whose cells are all healthy, and then the other, and, and as a result of the sum of the parts, that the individual is healthy. Um, and that's all just predicated based upon, you know, diet and lifestyle and um, exercise habits and genetics and all that stuff. And so that just scratches the surface. And so what we understand now is that the health of the cell is predicated on the health of actually the other microorganisms that live within our body and cohabitate our body. So the human body just isn't a human body. The human body is actually a, a super organism made of um, trillions uh, of viruses, trillions of, well, actually quadrillions of bacteria and quadrillions probably of fungus. So all these things are an interwoven network that actually communicate one another and actually can turn... Uh, gene expression on or off through a, a mechanism we won't get into that much because it's pretty complicated. But safe to say that humans in and of itself are not the most important part of the puzzle. It's actually the environment and the microbiome and, and all the other things that are within our body. And at a, at a cellular level, if you go all the way back to, uh, I guess, biology, um, and you remember when you were a kid in biology, and I think it was in third grade, I was, remember being in biology, and they were teaching us about a cell, and a cell has a nucleus. And then within the, nucle and within the cell also is the cytoplasm. And within that stuff, you've got things like ribosomes, and you have um, uh, mitochondria, and like all these other different organelles within the cell. And so what's fascinating is there's a lot of research going into now the role of mitochondria. And so mitochondria, if, if we want to go back in biology a little bit and give you a little refresher course, those we always refer to as the power plants. They're the ones that produce the energy. And so literally what happens, as we know it, is that we consume food. That food's obviously going to either consist of fat, protein, or carbohydrate. Then from there, that food gets broken down in the digestive tract. It gets broken down to the point where no matter what the, what, what it is, a carbohydrate or a fat or a protein, ultimately it always turns into glucose, uh, sugar at a, at, a, at a molecular level. That uh, sugar is then absorbed into the cell, and the mitochondria then take that glucose and actually convert it um, into uh, adenosine triphosphate, so ATP. ATP is energy, and so we are energetic beings. That is the reason there is animated life in the world, all... Um, Beings uh, that are multicellular have mitochondria with them. They're the power plants for all life on Earth. Um, and without them, they're not possible. And in really, the amount of longevity and the health and everything else that we're going to speak about today is all predicated on the fact that you have to have abundant, uh, well-functioning mitochondria in order to maintain health and be disease-free. And so, so there's several factors that will influence these mitochondria. Um, number one, uh, the condition of the mitochondria and the proliferation of the mitochondria throughout the body is predicated on age. So certainly people that are younger have more uh, dense networks of mitochondria in their tissues. Um, whether or not a person stimulates those mitochondria through a process called hormesis, uh, and we'll talk about the different types of hormesis in a little bit here. Um, if they have a good diet, I mean, diet obviously, as we know, is important. If they get good sleep, if they get regular exercise. But interestingly enough, it, it goes even deeper than that. So your thoughts can actually influence to make your mitochondria healthier or sicker. Your feelings, your moods, uh, and then obviously your environment. You know, what toxins are you consuming? What toxins are in your environment that you may be breathing in? 
what drugs do you take? What medication, prescription medications are you on? So these all are big, big influencers on mitochondrial health and function. In regards to aging, like I said, when we're in our 20s, I think we're at peak mitochondrial production. We have tons of energy, tons of resilience, and obviously usually most 20-year-olds are pretty darn healthy uh, in general. By the time we get to 40, that, those mitochondrial density has decreased by 50%. So at 40, a lot of us start to feel kind of like, man, I just don't, I'm kind of getting over the hill now. I don't feel as good as I used to, certainly in my 20s. I don't bounce back as quick. I don't recover from those workouts as fast. Um, on, a, on a funny, like, inter- social level, um, man, I remember I used to go out and I could drink and I could get four hours of sleep and wake up in the morning and function all day, no problem. Now, if I were to go do that, I'd be um, in bed for two days trying to recover from all that. So these are just all little things you see at 40. And again, mitochondrial uh, density and uh, um, mitochondrial density and function is, is a big part of this. And then by age 70, we take another 50% off of that. So now you've got 25% of the number of mitochondria that you had when you were in your 20s. What do you feel? You're fatigued, you're run down, you're not as active, you're not as vitalistic, and obviously you just assume that's age, right? To make things worse, the, the 25% that you have left when you're 70, they're not even that healthy. They don't even produce that much ATP. They don't even function that well, in all honesty. Um, but the good news is, is that there are ways and are, there are tactics throughout our life that we not only can um, decrease the rate at which our mitochondrial start to decline as we get older, but also as they decline, the ones that are still left over, we can make them really big and robust and pump out a lot of ATP. Um, and so that is through a process called hormesis. And hormesis is kind of a strange word. Uh, But hormesis essentially is uh, small amounts of stress over short periods of time that make your cells and body more resilient to stress, its environment, and, and things like that. So the textbook definition is a process by which a mild or acute temporary stressor increases resistance to other stressors and increases the health, resilience, and vitality of the organism. Examples are... Uh, sterols that are found in plant compounds, uh, solar UV radiation, infrared light, hypoxia, oxygen bankruptcy, exercise, intense heat, cold for short periods of time, or even fasting for a certain period of time will make you more resilient. So what they've noticed through research actually is that if you practice some of these hormetic things on a regular basis in your life, not only do you decrease the rate at which your mitochondrial degrade as you get older, but you actually can preserve them at 100%, and you can preserve the integrity of them at 100%. So age is only a number, and what your body does with that age on a biological level is obviously totally up to you, which is super exciting. But you got to do these little hormetic stressors on a regular basis in order to keep up with that. So we'll talk about some of the different hormetic stressors as examples we gave just now, and we'll put them into real-life examples at the end. The other thing that we're finding out as pertains to longevity is the most important organ system. If I was to ask you what's the most important organ in the body as it pertains to health and longevity, I bet you a lot of people would say the brain is certainly an important organ. Maybe say the heart, that's certainly also a very important organ, or the lungs. I mean, without those three things, certainly we are going to die like very quickly. Uh, but the reality is, so far as it pertains to influence on the total body, as well as like longevity and working with these microorganisms that we're symbiotic relationship with, this the gut. So the gut and the immune system, uh, those two systems certainly are huge predictors as it pertains to health and longevity. When we spoke about viruses and bacteria and fungus having a synergistic effect in the body, when you essentially look at how many bacteria we have, uh, and I want to say this is by age one. By age one, a baby, or going into an adult, obviously, as time goes by, actually has 400 quadrillion bacteria in our gut. Let me put that into a context that will 
blow your mind when I heard about this statistic, actually. 400 quadrillion is the equivalency of you being born, and then since the second you're born, you're allowed to spend $62,000 per second. And then if you factor that out all the way until you're 70 years old, you're still left over with $200 billion as a result of having 400 quadrillion. So that is 62,000 a second over 70 years, still left at 200 billion. So we have, um, I believe, 300 trillion cells in our body. So bacteria vastly outnumber the number of cells that we have in the human body. If you look at also viruses within our blood, we have um, 10 to the eighth. So that's 10 with eight zeros after it, basically. That's how many viruses we have floating through our bloodstream at any given time. So clearly, the humans, it ain't all about the human, and it ain't all about the human cell. There's a lot of other things going on within the body that we have to be taking a look at. And so one of the things that's important to note is that bacteria is actually really good for us. As long as we're in a symbiotic relationship and within balance of good bacteria to bad bacteria, because certainly there are bad bacteria, but when you have enough good bacteria that are promoting health, um, your body is super resilient, super healthy, functions quite well. In the functional medicine world, uh, they always say, when in doubt, look to the gut. If you have the strangest symptoms, um, you're depressed, you're fatigued, you have no appetite, you can't lose weight, you, I mean, you have eczema, you have autoimmune disorders, you multitude of different health-related problems, you know, you can basically go and treat the gut and figure out what's wrong with the gut and fix the gut and get it healthy, and pretty much all of those things just resolve and go away. Um, and that is in less than a year, basically. So the gut is, the gut is very important. The immune system is very important as well, is that the immune system, we always have to keep priming it, constantly priming it, constantly challenging it. So this is very important from birth, actually. So we have a lot of cesarean births that go on these days, and it is just the absolute worst start a baby can get off to as far as birth is concerned with cesarean for their immune function. Um, so I think one-third of all births now are being done cesarean as a result of multiple different reasons. But that, that first inoculation with the bacteria is crucial for priming the immune system because the, the immune system isn't fully developed uh, in a baby uh, in the first several months of its life. Um, and that, but it has an innate immune system, and the innate immune system is passed down from the mother. And that's through the vaginal canal, through birth, um, immediately coming out after birth, touching the mother's skin, touching the father's skin, uh, breastfeeding right away to get the immunoglobulins from the breast milk. All these things are crucial for priming and developing a proper functioning nervous system. Uh, and what we see now with this pandemic that we're still kind of at the, at the end of, I hope, is that everything has to be sanitary. We got to wipe down the tables. We wipe down this, like in, bet in between. I'm not saying that I don't wipe down the tables between every patient that comes in because that's just a sanitary thing to do, but excessively cleaning and sanitizing and disinfecting your hands, like every single place you go and wearing the masks and all this stuff, all these things make for very sterile environments. And very in sterile environments over too long of a period actually harms and weakens your immune system. And then when you come into contact with a virus or a pathogen or bacteria or something like that, you're, and you have a weakened immune system, it's going to hit you much, much, much harder, and it's going to take much, much longer for you to get over that disease. So that's some of the concerns that we have right now coming to this pandemic is when they do remove the masks 100% and everybody's going out and they start coming into contact with each other and talking and conversating and hanging out, like what type of secondary uh, illnesses are going to come out as a result um, of the sterile environments that we've been living with, you know, for the last year and a half or so. So disinfectants, although they're good, they shouldn't be overutilized because it's going to harm your immune system. As far as the bacteria, again, uh, people ask me, you know, what, what can I do in order to get more good bacteria in that gut? You know, if, that's, if it's so important and for sure a probiotic. You, you definitely want a really, really good probiotic. It should be somewhere between 40 to 80 billion uh, bacteria within um, one serving of the probiotic. And ideally, it should be probably seven uh, or more strains 
of different bacteria within that. Um, so again, if, if there's any people that want more advice on probiotics, I, I myself take a one called Seed. It's S-E-E-D. If you go to seed.com, they have a really, really good probiotic. I've been taking it. I've tested my microbiome through a test called a Viome test, and uh, I have really good proliferation, really good density, and really uh, many, many different types of bacteria as a result of uh, using that probiotic. So that's really, really a good one. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show today. We have a special going on for listeners. You go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-N-I-F-I.com. Uh, in the tab, you're going to put Evolve 15, and that's going to get you 15% off any one of those products. So again, that's Organifi or O-R-G-N, uh, it's hard, tough to say, O-R-G-N-I-F-I.com, and that's Evolve 15 for 15% discounts. Go check it out. You'll be glad you did. Diet and exercise. So diet and exercise, I think, goes without saying that people would understand, you know, you got to have a good diet and you got to get some regular exercise in order for you to be healthy and have good longevity. Uh, however, a, a lot of people are extreme uh, and, you know, and I'm not saying I've crossfitted for sure. I've done uh, powerlifting. I've done... I, I love to run. I do half marathons. I do 5Ks. I do 10Ks. Like so, so I do a little bit more of the high intensity type of stuff. It's what I enjoy. Um, it's it's a passion of mine. It gets a lot of stress out of me. But if you really want to break it down to exercise and what's the most efficient way in order to be healthy and live the longest uh, life possible, walking by far outperforms any other type of exercise you put it up against. Human beings are, have evolved and are designed to walk. And so 30 minutes a day is, is just a really good um, time frame to get out. Just a nice little brisk walk for 30 minutes every single morning. First thing, kind of as the sun's coming up, get a little bit of that red light, UV. That's really good also for, for other reasons on a hormetic level. But a uh, little 30-minute brisk walk each day, you certainly can't beat that. And there's research that certainly uh, proves that. As far as diet is concerned... I mean, we screwed up bad in the United States. So it goes without saying that our foods are super, super high in sugar. We have high fructose corn syrup. That damages the gut lining, makes because you have leaky gut, promotes bad bacteria from growing, doesn't feed the, the good bacteria. So that creates dysbiosis for sure in the gut. Um, we eat too much. I mean, we eat, you know, I thought it was always a good eye-opener when they started making restaurants put the calorie content on the menus and you would go to the restaurant like say i don't know applebee's or um tga fridays or something and it's you're 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 pressed and hard challenged to find a meal even an appetizer for that matter that's like under a thousand calories right and your the daily caloric intake depends on the person i mean but if you're um i don't know 110 pound female and and uh, don't exercise and sit at a desk job all day long, it's probably not a good idea that she'd be eating 3,500 calories a day or stuff like that, right? Uh, unless, conversely, you're a 110-pound female and you work out for an hour every single day and you're on your feet walking around and not sitting at a desk and you're burning another six to 800 calories a day and you're getting up to 3,500, well, then maybe it is a good idea. So calorie contents, obviously, are per person based on activity and, and lifestyle. Uh, but for the average American, like if you were to go out and eat multiple times a day, you're going into the three to 4,000 calorie a day range. And that is obviously way too much and leads to all these other type of secondary issues that are going on. The timing in which we eat too is crazy. So we're designed usually to eat, uh, eat over an eight to 12 hour window. As far as human evolution is concerned, the average American eats between 15 to 16 hours a day. So we're basically eating from the second we got up all the way to the moment we go to bed, and then we're getting like six, seven hours of sleep. That is way too much. That doesn't allow for cellular autophagy where we're cleaning out all the cancer cells. It, it just it wreaks havoc. It doesn't give our body time to just like relax for a little bit and not have to constantly be digesting something. So, so the eating habits are bad. The timing is bad. And, uh, and those things certainly – and then the types of food are bad. I mean we're eating – Foods that are laden with 
uh, toxins and pesticides and herbicides and preservatives and have been genetically modified. So these, these things are contributing to the rapid rise in disease. One other thing that I would certainly say is our planet. Our planet is a big deal. You know, one of the people in uh, the class today, when I got done doing the presentation, I opened up for question and answer, and, and I said, you know, one person was like, why do you think these diseases are on the rise? And I think there's multiple factors, um, but our toxic planet and the soil content and the pollution and all the things that are going on are killing us for sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a prime example. So uh, we used to have, uh, in Vietnam, there was Agent Orange, right? And it killed all the foliage in, in, in the jungle so that we could um, not be surprised by you know, enemies coming up and sneak attacks and stuff like that. Well they, well, they did away with that, obviously, because, you know, what they found out later is, is extremely toxic. Um, you know, people were getting cancer left and right as a result of being in Vietnam. And, you know, they were dying in the war and they hadn't even died in the field. But they, you know, died years later rotting to death of cancer uh, in their beds, unfortunately. So they did away with that. And, and then what happened after that is they took that similar chemical compound and then they figured out that they could convert it and use it as a as a pesticide. Um, and so this would kill all of the weeds. So thus was born basically Roundup. Uh, Roundup has glyphosate in it. And if you look at the time frame for Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and cancer and autism and like uh, a lot of these diseases as they started to skyrocket and get out of control, it was around the same time frame that we started using glyphosate, spraying it on all of our crops, um, it doesn't just affect that. It gets into our water sources. It evaporates into the air. It's in our rain. There's particles of glyphosate in the rain as we speak in the atmosphere. Um, so even if you have an organic garden, it rains on the organic garden. And it is no longer organic. So this stuff gets everywhere. And it gets into our bodies, too. Um, and it wreaks havoc. It causes leaky gut. Uh, this is another reason why you've seen a massive rise in gluten sensitivities is it because of the fact that glyphosate actually opens up the tight junctions in the gut and then you'll get, uh, you know, you'll get food particles and proteins and carbohydrates um, and bacteria and endotoxins and all these other materials that will get through that barrier and get into the blood and then the immune system starts freaking out because it's like, whoa, those are antigens that are not supposed to be here and then they engulf them and create a cytokine reaction and then the, the person's entire body becomes in, chronically uh, inflamed. That chronic inflammation leads to breaches in the blood-brain barrier. That then um, is why Parkinson and Alzheimer's is, is on the rise. Uh, Parkinson's for uh, men is skyrocketing, and Alzheimer's for women is uh, going up exponentially. And it's these blood-brain barrier breaches. And then once that stuff gets inside the brain, you have a very innate immune system within the brain, and then they start attacking that and forming the plaques. And then the plaques then obviously is what leads to the cognitive disorders um, that we see in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So, so, so that's, that's one level on the toxicity level of it. The other level um, is the nutrient content. So it's very important for us to be healthy and our cells to function properly is that we have antioxidants and we have um, vitamins, obviously, and we have minerals. So micronutrients are crucial. And because of the fact that we use Roundup and pesticides and there isn't that symbiotic relationship between the plants that are growing in and around the crops anymore, because of the fact that we have technologies that can harvest fields in a matter of hours versus days as it used to take when we were working with a plow and a horse, because of the fact that we no longer circulate crops in the same uh, fields, we grow, we have monocrops basically where a wheat field's a wheat field, and a soybean field's a soybean field, and corn field's a corn field, rather than rotating the crops. Um, our 97% of the soil in the United States is mineral deficient, it has no minerals whatsoever. So not only are we poisoning ourselves, creating uh, leaky gut issues, blood-brain issues as far as barriers are concerned, 
but we have no minerals or nutrients in our food in order to have antioxidant production for free radicals or do anything else that the cell can function properly. So we are dying on both ends of the spectrum, essentially. And so this is why it's crucial that we do something to fix it. So ideally, what can you do? I mean, well, plant your own garden, grow your own food. I mean, that would be like a lot of work, but still... Um, the best thing. Buy organic foods to the best of your ability. We discussed even though it's organic, it still could get rained on by glyphosate, but it's better than a lot of those that are like sprayed directly with the stuff. Um, supplementation is crucial. If you realize that your fruits and your vegetables and thing in your food is not uh, mineral or vitamin rich, then you should probably supplement with some good reputable companies that actually can supplement and, and get those levels up. Um, and that's, that's crucial. And then on the detoxification level, you got to get that stuff out of your body. The good news is, is that glyphosate does get broken down by certain good bacteria uh, in your body over time, but it does, it does make it really, really hard in order to, to have a good, solid digestion tract uh, that's not leaky in nature. But ways you can detox, uh, mineral supplementation, like we said, drinking a ton of water, taking some good amino acids, getting some, a good variety of plant compounds into your diet, getting a really good seven to nine hours of sleep every single night, getting out, taking that good 30-minute brisk walk or up to 60 minutes of exercise every single day, and sweat, sweat, sweat. So going in saunas, going outside, anything that you can do to, to get sweating, that's going to detoxify your system and get all these harmful chemicals and toxins out of you. So far as sleep and how that, that ties in, because we just touched on sleeping seven to nine hours a night. So sleep is when your body's going to restore and recover, right? So you get a full day's activities out of the way and all the damage that occurs to the muscles, uh, muscles the ligaments, the tendons, um, all the other cells in your body as a result of being you know, uh, in a, basically a fight-or-flight response or what's it called a sympathetic dominant physiology throughout the day because we're we got deadlines and we got um, meetings to get to and we have things we've got to get done, obviously, with our life, especially in the United States. We're such a fast-paced society. So sleep, on the other end, is the exact opposite. That's when you should be out to the world, sleeping seven to nine hours, a good, solid sleep, getting that recovery, getting that rest, letting your body recover, rejuvenate, uh, and we're just not getting it. So seven to nine hours, that would be an amazing situation if most people were sleeping like that. But the reality is, is that we are exposed to light, um, you know, and we're supposed to be exposed to light for about 12 hours a day, obviously, as the sun rises and the sun sets. But we're exposed in the United States closer to 15 to 17 hours per day via artificial light, obviously, as we get home, we turn the lights on, we turn the TV on, we turn the radio, or um, excuse me, have our cell phones on, we have the computers on. We're constantly being bombarded by this artificial light. And the, and the, the very interesting thing is that the human body is very much like a plant. It has photoreceptors all over your skin, all over your body, essentially. And they are sensitive to light, and they react with light. And so there's this thing called the circadian biology where there's a certain rhythm that our bodies get into. There's four different types. You've got lions, which wake up first thing in the morning, 5 a.m., ready to go. They're, they're the morning people. But by 9 p.m. at night, they're exhausted, tired, and they got to go to bed. So that's a lion. Uh, you also have a bear. A bear is the majority of people. That's 70% of the population. This is the reason why we have school um, from 8 to 3. It's the reason we have work from 9 to 5, because those are the hours where we're most productive as a bear, because we like to wake up at about 7, and, they, and, they, and we like to go to bed, in their case, at about 10 o'clock at night or so, 10, 10.30 at night. Wake up in the morning, 7, 7.30, go about their day again. Then you have dolphins. Dolphins have no pattern whatsoever. And dolphins uh, sometimes are diagnosed as insomniacs. They wake up throughout the night. They're very, very light sleepers. They have no particular sleep pattern. They can get up early one day, go to bed late another. So they have no pattern whatsoever. And then you also have um, wolves. And so wolves are the night owls. So there is no such thing as a night owl circadian. It's called a wolf. And the wolves do not function well in the morning. Like if you get them up before like 10 a.m., they're exhausted. They're not functional. They don't articulate things well. They're not motivated. It's like they have bags on their eyes. But when you get to be like 10, 11, 1130 at night, 
they're alert, they're awake, they're productive, they're ready to hammer stuff out, you know, and for me, I'm more of a lion. Um, 11 o'clock at night, I would like to have been sleeping for about two hours by that point. So, so finding your rhythm is important uh, in knowing what your tendencies are and then trying to fit your day around that. Uh, a lot of people think of sleep as the end of the day. You should really look at sleep as the beginning of the day because if you get a really solid night's sleep, that sets the stage for having a super awesome productive day um, going forward from there. So I look at when I go to bed as the end of my day and I look when I um, – or the beginning of my day. And then uh, obviously as the day comes to an end is, is certainly more the end of the day. A topic on longevity and health certainly couldn't be involved without the nervous system. On where are we going wrong today? Well, kids are being hyper-stimulated. In fact, we all are, if you really look at it. We are hyper-stimulated every single day with the internet, with social media, with TV. Um, it is just very, very harmful. It's very, very stressful. Like I, Some uh, patient came the other day and said, hey, did you see that uh, there was a huge like, 25-foot whale that washed up on the beach um, off the coast here in Florida. And I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about that. And they're like, oh, it was all over the news. And then I was said, yeah, I don't watch the news. They're like, really? And I was, oh, how do you keep up on current events? And I was just like, I don't really like to keep up on current events because every single current event out there is just negative and all these things are bad and going on and the fighting. And I was like, you can like turn on the news and watch the news now and you could not watch it. Go six months down the road, turn on the news and watch the same news and be the exact same news that you watched before. It's just always negative news, super stressful and, you know, I, I just try to stay out of that and stay more interdirected and focusing on what I need to get done as a human being. So, so hyperstimulation is an issue. Now, the problem with hyperstimulation is hyperstimulation puts you into what's called fight or flight or what's technically referred to as sympathetic dominant. So that is important. There's a time and a place for that. So let's go back 10,000 years you know, if you're walking down, you know, walking through the, the meadow and then all of a sudden this saber-toothed tiger jumps out of the bush and it's going to kill you, well, it would be good to have a fight-or-flight response. So you obviously fight-or-fight means you have two choices. I can kill the saber-toothed tiger or I can run from the saber-toothed tiger in order to live. So it's an instinct that's innate within us in order to survive. The opposite to that physiology is rest and digest, or what is referred to as parasympathetic dominant. So parasympathetic dominant, so during the daytime, when we're active and moving around or exercising, working out, going to our jobs, like doing, being social, all that stuff, we're primarily in a sympathetic dominant response. We've got to be kind of alert and active and energetic. At, the, at night when we go to bed, however, and we're getting into sleep and we're going to recover and rejuvenate and, and everything from the day's activities, that's when our body shifts actually into a rest and digest. You hear the word digest as well, and obviously that, uh, that part of your nervous system is dominant as it pertains to digestion. So this makes sense. Let's give an example. If I had you eat like a really, really big meal, and then immediately after the meal was over, I said, all right, we're going to go out and we're going to run three miles now. How good would your stomach feel? How f well would that food digest if you got out and you tried to go into a sympathetic dominant activity when you're supposed to be having a digestive parasympathetic? You obviously would be nauseous. You would be sick. You would probably throw up. So you can see that you cannot be in both physiologies at the same time. And if you are dominant in one physiology or other, it can hamper or influence. So if you're chronically stressed out all the time, this is probably a reason why you would have poor digestive habits. You know, um, This would be a reason why, if you're chronically stressed out, you don't sleep so good at night. This would be a reason why, if you're chronically stressed, you have high blood pressure. This would be why that you don't have a good immune system because you're chronically stressed. So it's a very, very big deal. The way that you measure this, a lot of people don't know, is through a test, and, and we actually do this test at, uh, at the practice. It's called heart rate variability. So there's a lot of different ways to measure heart rate variability. Um, like I said, I have a unit at the office um, called Pulse Wave Profiler 
So it measures heart rate variability. Um, this aura ring, uh, aura is O-U-R-A, uh, is a ring that I wear. It measures my heart rate variability every single night when I'm sleeping, see if I've recovered well or whether or not I should work out the next day. So it's pretty awesome. Um, I think they said that maybe Apple Watches are coming out with heart rate variability and one of the new models is coming out. So, But heart rate variability is probably, I mean, I think it's way more important to track than your steps. Like everybody's tracks their steps. I got to get 10,000 steps. I got to get 10,000 steps. I mean, that's all good and well. You should get 10,000 steps. But heart rate variability gives you so much more information on your current state of affairs as far as your health, your recovery, your sleep. Um, how, how physically fit you are, how much energy levels. If you were to get into a life-threatening situation, you know what are the chances you get out of that? As far as survival, you're in the hospital, right? So, um, if you're an athlete, are you overtraining? Do you need more recovery? So, there's just a lot of useful information you can gather from heart rate variability. Um, but one side note, cool thing is a plug to chiropractic. There's a lot of really robust research on the fact that when you get adjusted on a regular basis, it improves heart rate variability. Um, and so one of the studies that showed uh, this improvement is something called the Yagura study in 2011. It's a Japanese study. What was interesting is that they took an individual and they slid them into a functional MRI. And then they analyzed brainwave activity. They analyzed uh, metabolic um, uh, uptake of glucose into the brain. They analyzed all the areas that were lighting up, you know, depending on uh, what areas were moved and stuff like that. Uh, they were looking at heart rate. They were looking at respiratory rate. So all these like um, really cool bodily functions. They pulled that person back out. So that was the baseline. They then had a chiropractor evaluate them, find out where there were areas in their spine that were, are, as we call it, subluxated or uh, not moving very well or restricted. Uh, had them adjust those areas, stuck them back in the MRI, and then re-scanned uh, their brain again. And here is the interesting information they found out. There are certain areas within the brain that are responsible for your sympathetic fight-or-flight response, and there are certain areas for your parasympathetic uh, rest-and-digest response. And what they saw is that when they got adjusted, the areas that were sympathetic-dominant sources went dormant, and the areas that were parasympathetic-dominant lit up. They then also analyzed and saw that their heart rate slowed, that their breathing slowed, that the ATP production from the mitochondria in the cells actually got more robust and was actually pumping out more ATP. Um, and they also saw that uh, there was an enhanced utilization of uptake of glucose into the brain cells. So glucose in and of itself um, can be toxic to brain cells if it's in excess, uh, so far as the American diet is concerned. But it's crucial. It's, uh, the brain utilizes more glucose than any other organ in the entire body. So it is crucial for a proper functioning brain to have good glucose uptake. And so when you, you would never think when you go lay down on the chiropractic table and you get that spine adjusted, all the different neurological things and all the stuff that happens to your brain and your body is a result of that adjustment. So certainly it goes a lot, lot deeper than just treating somebody's neck or back pain. Other ways we can improve HRV, though, is not just chiropractic alone. We uh, Getting a good night's sleep, like we spoke about, for seven to nine hours will improve HRV, improve recovery. Meditation. So one meditation thing that I do on a regular basis is that if I kind of find myself getting stressed because of a situation that happened or something that's coming up and I got deadlines or things like that, um, I do a little bit of uh, meditative breathing. So I just kind of like get into a quiet room where I'm at, close my eyes, do some nice box breathing. Box breathing is uh, breathing in through your nose for a count of four, holding at the top for a count of four, exhaling out your mouth and let your shoulders just drop and relax for a count of four, and then holding at the bottom for a count of four. You go through about five rounds of that, which should take you a minute, and you definitely, your heart rate slows, your tension dissipates out of your shoulders and your back, and you definitely feel more clear and you're um, less stressed out. Exercise, like we spoke about, 30 minutes a day at least, or up to 60, um, great for HRV. Dietary improvement obviously improves it. We also have a technology at the practice called NUCALM, spelled N-U-C-A-L-M. And what this is, is it uses a technology called binaural beats, uh, played at certain frequencies. I want to say, I think it's 512 hertz in the right ear, and it plays 500 hertz in the left ear. The brain gets confused and doesn't know that's 512 and 500, so it, 
it subtracts it from each other and it makes your brain go into a 12 hertz brainwave, which that brainwave uh, length is a theta wave brainwave. That brain wavelength, interestingly, um, is when you're kind of going to sleep and you're nodding off or you're coming out of sleep and you can't quite tell the difference. Are, am I dreaming or am I in reality right now? That's theta wave. Uh, uh, another interesting thing is that infants, um, I want to say from age two to six, their primary brainwave activity, even though they're conscious and walking around and playing and doing their things, is theta wave. Um, and that is the reason, actually, that children uh, pretend all the time. So if they're having a tea party or they're riding around on a broom and, and think it's a horse, they legitimately think that they're doing those two things because they cannot perceive the difference between what is real and what is not real. Um, as far as their brain wavelengths. So that's another little aside that's kind of interesting that I've learned about. Um, but yeah, Nucom, you go in there for 20 minutes and it puts you into a theta wave state. We also use a neurotransmitter called GABA and that calms your heart rate down and calms your nervous system down. And so in 20 minutes, you can actually simulate a 90-minute sleep cycle. So this is a great little biohack that if you didn't get that seven to nine hours and you just want to catch up on that another hour and a half and 20 minutes because time is a crunch, you just do this for 20 minutes with some box breathing while you're doing it and you simulate 90 minutes and 20 minutes. So really, really time efficient. Infrared light therapy. So we have juve panels. Um, but again, you can mimic this with sunlight, the, su the sunrise or the sunset. That's when you're going to get the most red light out of the sun. Uh, definitely not at high noon. Uh, but infrared light panels, uh, utilize them 10 to 20 minutes every single day. Another thing that's going to improve HRV, uh, and sauna, uh, go sit in a sauna for 30 minutes. Good for detoxification and actually has been shown to be hormetic in that it improves HRV. Um, and then of course, take away the things that are decreasing your HRV. So the stress, what are the stressors? What are the things like that? Don't watch the news. Take away your TV. Um, spend more time with your friends. Uh, spend more time with your family. Have sit-down dinners at night. Don't be watching TV and having dinner at the same time with your family. Turn off all the devices. You know, just unplug, basically. And that'll definitely also improve HRV. So that's the background. So the question I have for everybody listening here today and watching on YouTube is, do you want to get healthy? So... If the answer is yes, it takes more than that because what we know is that a lot of people want things. A lot of people say they're going to do things. Not a lot of people accomplish things. Um, and if it pertains to the health, it's not an easy accomplishment. It's something that takes work. I mean, if you were going to open a business, right, it would take time, effort, money, you know, multiple things and resources in order to get to get a good business going off the ground. As it pertains to health as well, I would tell you that it takes time, it takes effort. In some instances, certainly, it takes money because if you're going to get diagnostic testing done, if you're going to have proper organic foods, if you're going to supplement, those things require more money. So I, I won't sugarcoat it that you know people that uh, have more financial means certainly are in an advantaged position in order to do these things. But again, you know, if you avoid a lot of the bad, bad stuff and then you do as much of the good, good stuff that maybe doesn't cost that much money, you still can probably get 80% of the benefit um, and be much, much healthier and live a much longer life than a person who's not doing it. So, I mean, the people spending the more money and having the advanced supplement protocols and all the, I mean, all the supplements I take and stuff like that that do cost me a few hundred bucks a month as far as that's concerned, um, that just gets me that extra 20% because I'm just trying to be as healthy as possible and lead by example. But most of you can get done on a fraction of the cost with a very basic multi, some vitamin D, a fish oil, uh, a probiotic, probiotic, like we said, phenomenal money, and then eat very healthy, don't eat terrible foods, don't drink a lot, don't smoke, get 30 minutes of exercise every day, get a good night's sleep, um, do some meditation. That's very little money, and you can get, like I said, 80% of the benefit. As it pertains to wanting to do these things, my experience in the last 22 years of working with people as it pertains to accomplishing goals, and even with myself, is that wanting to do it is not enough. You have to be ready to do it. And you have to have a purpose behind why you're doing it. 
And that purpose, that second part is, is the most important. So what is your purpose on this planet? You know, why were you put here? Like, what is it that you are meant to do? How are you contributing to society and the world and making it a better place? So those are questions you have to kind of ask yourself. If you don't know the answers to those things, there are some kind of tips I guess I can give you as to try to figure out what your purpose is. And unfortunately, not a lot of people have jobs uh, that they really like. Um, they're also stressful. They also create health-related issues as well. Um, so I think one of the things is that, not as an adult, but if you go back in time and you look at when I was a child, so answer this first question. When you were a child, what was, what was your life like and what did you like to do? My example from that would be, I, I don't remember ever being inside. I was always outside with my uh, friends. We were riding our BMX bikes. We were, <laughs> to, to some extent, like crashing and scraping up our knees all the time. Um, I grew up in Montana, so I would ride my bike all over town in Livingston, Montana, like all day long, constantly riding my bike, going up and down the streets, checking out the different stores. Um, uh, we would go uh, out into the woods, you know, behind the house and build forts and we're digging and, you know, looking for rocks. Um, I was always out in nature fishing. Uh, when I wasn't doing all those things, I was certainly playing sports on a regular basis. So sports was a big passion of mine. So just being outdoors, being active, all that stuff, you know, that that's what I did as a kid. So how does that pertain to what I'm doing now? Well, right now I'm indoors all the time, but nonetheless, I'm, I still love working out. I still love golfing. I still love playing sports. Uh, I still like riding bike. I still, uh, I, I like acting like a kid, you know, and not taking things too seriously all the time. So we need to get more into that childlike mentality and doing the things more often that we really enjoy and love doing so we can get back to that physiology and that state of mind. The next question I would ask you is that, what are you really good at? Like, what things come really easy to you? So for me, um, I guess I'm in the right profession. Like, me working with people and me coming up with solutions for problems that other many, many doctors in some instances haven't been able to come up an answer for to help somebody's health or a problem they're dealing with, stuff like that. I don't, for some odd reason, I just kind of... I see a bigger picture and I kind of read between the lines and I can sift through information and kind of rule in and rule out different stuff. And I seem most times to come up with the right answer as far as what the problem is, the underlying and what the solutions are going to be. Um, so I guess I was kind of born to do what I do. But, you know, what are you really good at? What comes easy? Some people, it's very easy to, they, they, they make friends really easy, or they talk to people really easy, or they, um, math comes easy to them, or uh, they love science, or they, you know, th whatever the attributes are, you know, for some people, it's difficult. Um, I, I love speaking. I love teaching. Um, it comes easy to me as well. So, so th those are other things that you want to gear yourself towards. And then, last but not least, when the day comes that we're dead, and we all are going down that path. My, my mentor always used to tell me, nobody gets out of this place alive, all right? Um, what will people talk to you about? What will you be remembered for? What will be the legacy that you left behind, all right? So if you can answer those three questions, then you can craft and you can tie in your purpose. So my purpose is to help people reach their optimal health potential through the practice of chiropractic, diet, exercise, biohacking, um, and ancestral living so that they can live abundant, healthy, great lives um, and have the most amazing times with friends and family as long as uh, they see fit. So that's what my purpose in life is, and that's why I will continue to do and have talks and podcasts and lecture and take care of patients and do the things we can do to help this, this community be healthier because clearly somebody has to do it. We, don't, we can't rely on the CDC to help us out of this mess. So it takes one person at a time. So I think the way forward, in summary, is if we can get back to our roots and combine ancient wisdom with how we should be living, combined with modern technology, because modern technology does have its benefits, like aura rings, 
you know, uh, how do you track your sleep? How do you track your steps? How do you track, like, how do you make measurements of all these things to see if what you're doing as a lifestyle habit is actually improving your health? So using modern technology with ancient wisdom, um, looking to within ourselves, changing ourselves, changing our families, changing our communities outward from there, um, that's how we're going to do it. So some of the common stuff as far as examples. Let's talk about sleep. Uh, if you want to improve your sleep, if you're struggling with sleep, number one, don't eat any food three hours before you go to bed. Number one, wear blue light blocking glasses when you get home as soon as the sun starts to go down until you go to bed. Make sure that your room temperature is cool. Um, this uh, Science and research shows you get better deep sleep because of that. Turn off your Wi-Fi before you go to bed. There's no reason you need your Wi-Fi on at night when you're in bed, and the non-native EMF actually is very disruptive to sleep. Have a consistent bedtime each night. Know your chronobiology, and then try to go to bed at that same time and get up at that same time every single time. Use meditation and breathing exercises before bed or if you wake up at night to get back to bed. Um, you also can use what's called a Muse device, which is a good meditative device. It'll take you through active meditation. I have one of those. And monitor sleep and other uh, habits with an aura ring. Clean up your diet. Uh, incorporate a variety, preferably of organic, unprocessed, whole, colorful veg fruits, fruits and vegetables, uh, roots, tubers, as much as you possibly can. This is going to make for a diverse microbiome in your gut patch up leaky gut, and um, have minerals and nutrients and everything else uh, to promote health. Avoid genetically modified fruits and vegetables. These are unnatural. Our body doesn't break them down, and it's just not a good source of food for us. Stop eating. Take a break. Take a break for 12 to 16 hours every single day where you just let your stomach and digester tract relax for a little bit. Give it a breather. Um, it has so many other health benefits beyond that, but that is very, very important for overall health. And supplement. Like we said, our minerals and nutrients are not in our food, so we've got to supplement to get to the RD and the RDA. So people say the RDA, by the way, I just would touch on this. The RDA is a recommended daily allowance together by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration as not to prevent disease. So if you fall below those RDAs that you see on the cans and labels and all that stuff too long, you'll have a disease as a result of that. That doesn't mean those are optimal levels in order for you to have vitality and longevity. I would promise you, um, you know, they vitamin D levels in the blood, they recommend 30 as the, as the bottom line, but 60 is optimal. So there's optimal and then there's minimal. So we want to be optimal. So supplementation is crucial for that. We spoke about detoxification, sweating, mineral supplementation, fasting, sleeping, doing all those things. Get those toxins out of your body. Practice hormesis every day, whether it's exercise, whether um, it's infrared light therapy, UV radiation, eating a diverse thing in plants, um, hypoxia, uh, Cold thermogenesis, going in cryo chambers, going in saunas, all those things, practice them on a regular basis. And get chiropractic adjustments. So beyond HRV, chiropractic has been proven to improve brain-body awareness. We know that genetics is based upon our body's perception of the world. 80% of the perception of the world comes from the spine. The other 20% from the eyes, ears, nose, mouth. Um, so proper functioning spine is crucial for perception, crucial for genetic expression, and crucial for longevity. Uh, it improves your sleep patterns, improves ATP production, improves digestion, improves heart variability, improves immunity, improves glucose uptake into the brain for the prevention of uh, neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, makes the body more efficient, uh, increases your energy level. So, I mean, once a week adjustment, I would tell you, would make a massive shift in the overall physiology and health of the United States. And so the future of, med uh, future of longevity is about getting people that ancient wisdom, getting the best bits of modern science in there, and more importantly, the future of medicine is not about the doctor. It's about the patient. It's about participatory uh, medical interventions where the most important person in the equation is the patient. 
And when doctors start doing that and not worrying about insurances and reimbursements and time and money and all the other things, then certainly we'll have better health care in the United States and in the world, hopefully in general, um, and better recommendations to prevent people from having to go to the doctor in the first place. So I will leave you with this message that I've shared with thousands of people over my 22 years. Um, and it's a quote by Thomas Edison. He said, the doctor of the future will give no medicine, but will interest his patients in the care of the human frame, in diet, and in the cause and prevention of disease. So I thank you for being with me today. I look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast with a new topic that hopefully you'll get some more information on how to be healthier and have a longer, healthier life. And uh, I appreciate your time today. So have a great week.